The very, the very first car that I ever owned was this little box with wheels called a 1986 Chevy Cavalier. And uh, I bought it for a thousand bucks and it looked like it. And uh, when, he, when he drove down the road, you'd, you'd hold the wheel like this, but the car would go straight because the alignment was so bad. And when you buy a car for $1,000, it doesn't make sense to spend money on alignment, does it? No, <laughs> it's not a safety concern, is it? So anyways, I, I just, you just learn to drive with your hands crooked when the car is going straight. And, uh, and it was a, quite a piece of work. And we've been doing this short study in Proverbs where when really as you work your way through Proverbs, you find that the wisdom of God, the encouragement to walk in the ways of God as children of God, it's about alignment, coming into alignment of what God would consider to be good and true and just and right and honorable. There's an alignment. And what we understand as Christians is that all of us, uh, we're all out of alignment. And uh, when you come to Christ by grace, as we just witnessed uh, through the, the incredible uh, baptism testimony this morning, as uh, Cassie shared that, is we're saved by grace apart from anything that we do, apart from any of our works. God doesn't say to us, you know, you know straighten up, get your alignment right, alignment right, and then once you've got yourself aligned to my ways, I will then bless you. The gospel, for those of you who are here who may be exploring Christian faith, is actually counterintuitive because God saves us apart from our alignment. That's Romans chapter 5. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's while you were not aligned in any way, Christ died for you. Once we receive the saving grace of God, we're now in a lifelong journey by the renewing, sanctifying grace of God. It's a process of coming back into alignment. And so when, you, when we read Proverbs, and our text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 4, when we look back now at the wisdom literature of Scripture, we look at it through a cross-shaped lens, meaning, how do I, as a child of grace, who is saved apart from any alignment, now, because of that same grace, desire to live to the one who saved me in grace and come into alignment? And this is really how we approach the Proverbs and the wisdom literature that the Scriptures give us. Proverbs chapter 4 verses 5 to 9, and then I'm going to read verses 14 to 27. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she, wisdom, will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. For they cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness, and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. 
Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is God's word. So as we read through Proverbs and you unpack the 31 chapters that that were given, here's what you find. You find that wisdom is the ability to respond and relate to life and suffering and trial and consequence. Relate to it with competence and with character according to God's definition out of what is right and good and just and true. And so as we unpack chapter 4 here, we're going to explore how the same grace that brought you into Christian faith empowers you to live it out. Because as Christians, we continue the way we began. Our walk of faith began by grace. We continue to bring ourselves into alignment, not by the power of our will, but by the power of the Spirit. Again, it's a work of His grace. So let's look and see how this text instructs us. Here's the first thing. Kids, if you look down in your notes, there's a blank there. And here's the first thing we're going to talk about. That wisdom requires passionate pursuit. And God empowers your pursuit by his grace. When you read the first few verses, verses 5 to 9, it's saying, get wisdom, get understanding. But then it goes on to say, and it's going to cost you. Why does it say that? Why is it using this kind of language? It says it's going to cost you. It might even cost you everything, but it's worth it. Now, I had a guy come by my house the other week, and he was like, hey, I'm, do, I'm going through the neighborhood uh, to see if you have grubs, and uh, if you have any grubs, I'm offering services. And can I look in your backyard? I said, sure, and I closed the door, and then I thought, gee, I wonder if he's going to find any grubs back there. So he comes, and he knocks on my door, and he goes, hey, guess what? You got grubs. And I was like, really? I mean, I'm, I've lived here 18 years. I'm sure I've had grubs for 18 years. And uh, he says, yeah, you got grubs. Here's what it's going to cost. I say, oof. Now that's fine. Just leave the grubs. And his face drops. He goes, you want me to just leave and you're going to live with the grubs? I said, yeah, I'm going to live with the grubs. Have a good day. And I close the door. Because I was like, that costs too much. And sometimes when we are approaching the word of God, and the language here is that it's costly. It's because all of us at some point are going to read something the Spirit is going to bring alive something in God's Word that's going to, we're going to hear something of God's Word that it contradicts what we're willing to pay in terms of coming to alignment. To say, I'm more comfortable, uh, you know, I could fix the alignment on this car, but I think I'll just go through life like this, thank you very much, because that's too costly. And so this is the language we're given right away in this text is that it actually requires passionate pursuit and it's actually very costly. When you look at verse 6, it says, don't let it go. Hold the wis- hold wisdom. When you'll notice the tone, there's a lot of determination and the ex- exerting of the will and there's sacrifice involved in verse 7, right? But why is, why, why is this that it's so costly, right? It seems to be worth it. Last week we talked about it that when, when life hits the fan, we can relate with peace and poise and not panic. But why is it so costly? Why isn't it got something that God, if God just drops justification on us as a gift, why doesn't he just drop wisdom on us as a gift? 
Because it seems to be two different things happening here, and it is. Why is that? Why the struggle, right? We're saved by God's grace apart from our work. Why is obtaining God's wisdom such work? Well, it's costly because wisdom requires that we respond to life in a way that God says is right and not in what we say is comfortable. And there is a huge chasm between what God says is right and what I might find most natural. Not in every instance, but in some. For all of us, it's a different journey. It's a different thing where the word of God will come and want to provoke us to come into alignment, but that's contradictory to what to us seems most natural. Think of it this way. We all have temperaments and traits and cognitive aspects to you know, our personality. And you know, day to day, we're all relating to life based on these God-given temperaments and traits and these things like this, right? It's, it's what we do. It's a combination of how we're made and our instincts and life experiences all rolled in there. Uh, here's, here's the problem. Uh, the problem with all of these things is that our natural inclinations, uh, they're very helpful in some contexts, but they're not very wise in others. We can't just go through life relating to everything according to what is most natural to us. Uh, for example, let's say you have a non-confrontational personality. And your, your MO, your go-to, is to be silent, to listen, see what happens, and in conflict kind of not, you know, engage. You know, there's a lot of places in life where that is both helpful and wise. But not if you're witnessing injustice, or somebody comes to you and they're gossiping, and they've got an offense with somebody else in the church, and your response to that is to sit there in silence and in action. Now, all of a sudden, this aspect of your way of relating that is helpful and wise over here is now no longer helpful and wise over here. Or let's just flip the coin and let's say you're a very bold, decisive, assertive person who has a bias to action. There are some contexts, many contexts, where that is helpful and many contexts where that is wise. But not if you're sitting with somebody who's grieving, confused, needs a listening ear. And if you go into, you know, advice giving and monologuing instead of listening... Now, now your advice giving that over in this context is actually very helpful and wise, in this context isn't. So what we, what we discover as we're, as we're working our way through the book of, of, of Proverbs as you read it, is that uh, wisdom is the ability to respond to life not in one way, but the appropriate way. And not just the appropriate way as we would define the appropriate way, but actually God's way, which is, not, which is often inconsistent with our own way. It's not our most comfortable way. We need wisdom because the world is not fitted to our temperament, right? So as we live in communion with God, being refreshed by his grace, trusting and meditating on his word, we learn to walk in his wisdom and we grow an ability to respond to life in ways that actually might be very contrary to what we find most comfortable because our identity is increasingly being secured in God. So as our identity is secure in God, as we're at rest in the grace of God, as we don't need to prove who we are to anybody else because we know who we are as children of God, now we're free to do what's uncomfortable if it means choosing the wisdom of God. Because we're being unraveled. So instead of, like the text was saying, instead of tripping over the same thing in the dark corners of our heart and then stumbling in the darkness, the way of the righteous, the path is like the shining sun. We can actually see what's before us and we can... Respond in wisdom. To be righteous is to live in congruence with what God considers good and true and just 
right, and good, right? But Jesus was righteous by nature. We're not righteous by nature. Right? Jesus was the wisdom of God personified by nature. We are not. We are declared righteous by grace. We're given his track record. That's why you and I are standing before God, despite the things you did this week that were not wise or good or just or right. And yet before God, if your faith is in Christ alone, and, you're, and, and as a result of that, as you're living to his glory, you stand before God, and on the basis of Christ's perfection, not your progress, God says not guilty. We've been declared righteous by grace. What that means, though, is the guilt of our sin is gone, but the grip of sin remains which is why Christians still sin, right? So if you're here this morning exploring Christian faith and you're thoughtfully considering it and you're like, well, one of the hang-ups with why I can't come to Christian faith, place my life in Christ and be a part of the church is because I look at the church and the church is a mess. Yeah, it is. Newsflash, you're a mess. And if you join a church, you're just simply adding to the mess because all of us are in a journey of renewal by God's grace, Some Christians are very patient, loving, and kind people because they're further along in that journey of the Spirit doing His work, but all of us are on a sliding scale of being out of alignment. And so if if your big hang-up for not, you know, being a part of of Christ's church, placing your faith in Him, you know, the church is a mess, but Jesus is not a mess. There's institutions that have been a disaster, but Jesus is not a disaster. You can't look at the Jesus of the Bible and say, hmm, I see some dysfunction here. No, you won't. You can find it in this preacher and every preacher, but you can't find it in the one the preachers are pointing to. So we're all in this journey of alignment. And so to be righteous, Jesus was righteous and wise. We are declared righteous by grace, which means now the grip of sin, the work of the Spirit, as we come to the Proverbs, as children of grace, we come and we say, you know what? I desire by by God's grace that the grip of sin in this area of my life be loosened. Not by the power of my will, but by the power of the Spirit. So therefore, I will exert my will and I will bend my knee to the instruction of Scripture so that God can do an unraveling in my heart. You see, if you man- Proverbs is not about managing behavior. If you manage your behavior, that's good because it definitely is a benefit to your neighbor, right? If you, just, if you can just identify a problem in your life and then choose something different, that's good in the sense that it blesses your friends and your family and your workplace, okay? That's a good thing. But the Bible is not up to that. It's underneath that. It's renewal. So it's not just taking a breath, counting to 10, and choosing something differently. It's over the course of your life having something come out of your heart that's completely different. Because your loves are being reordered. Because the thing that you desire, your appetite, is different. It's not that over the course of your life you you, you actually want the same thing, but you just keep choosing the right thing. It's that over the course of your life, what you want changes. That is spirit wrought, right? That's what the spirit does. So as children of grace, he, by the same grace that saved you, is now teaching you, bringing you and I into alignment so that we can, as the righteous, have a path that is like the shining sun and that we're not stumbling over ourselves continually over the same stuff in darkness. Now, um, kids, if you look down in your notes, there's another set of uh, uh, a statement there that I want you to look at. It's that being declared righteous by grace is a gift of God for you, making your pursuit of his wisdom possible. And his wisdom guides you as he continues to complete the work he began in you. So front to back, the Christian life is by grace. 
And so then when we look at the book of Proverbs, and it seems to be saying, which it is, you got to exert your will, you got to exert determination, wisdom isn't dropping in your lap, you got to actually pursue it passionately, you recognize the CIS, but you see the passionate pursuit is precisely what I want, and that is the work of God's grace. Here's the second thing. So the first thing is that wisdom requires passionate pursuit, and God empowers your pursuit by grace. Secondly, wisdom flows from a guarded heart. And a guarded heart is what you want as the Spirit renews you by grace. So you see, as you're looking at the Proverbs, they are, they are prescriptions for us and at the same time descriptions of the new us. We've been given a new nature in Christ and this is describing it, a guarded heart. Not just kind of letting anything in there and living according to, you know, what the culture thinks or what we think, but what God thinks. That's, a, that's not just a prescription for something for us to do, though it is. It is also a description of who God is make, making you to be by his grace, one that would desire the guarded heart. Now, when you look at verse 23, it talks about it. It says, nothing's more important than this. This is how Solomon, you know, writes, writes down this, uh, this uh, wisdom literature provoked by the Spirit. He says, get it above all else, above everything, guard it, right? Everything is flowing from this. And the, t- and the tone seems to be saying it's not good. It, Proverbs 4.23 doesn't read like a Disney movie, you know. Just follow your heart, because whatever you find in there, it's probably wonderful. No. The Proverbs is like, you probably shouldn't follow that thing, because its appetites are here, there, and everywhere. And so you actually got to guard it. It's contrary to how us moderns think about um, our hearts. We, we tend to think, your heart is where your emotions are, but your brain is where the real action is. Uh, you know, at the hierarchy of the human existence is the intellect. Uh, like Rene Descartes would say, I think, therefore I am. The essence of man is that we are a thinking thing and our body is kind of a container that moves our brain around. Okay, that, so that's not being fair to Descartes, by the way, but that's the essence of, that's the essence, essence of that philosophical position is you're predominantly a thinking thing. It was a prom, what Proverbs is getting at is that we're actually not predominantly thinking things, to borrow the language of uh, James K. Smith, uh, who's a professor at Calvin College, he'd say this, we're predominantly loving things. We wake up every morning loving this, loving that, and our lives are being driven around because we are loving things. Uh, so Proverbs uses this military term of guarding because it locates the problem not outside us, but inside us, right? So we have to, we, we have to actively guard ourselves. Uh, our hearts in terms of loving uh, uh, the things of God. C- Thomas Cranmer was a theologian in the 16th century, and during the uh, English Reformation, he wrote extensively on the desires of the heart, on the drives of the heart, the love of the heart, and Dr. Ashley Null famously summarized Cranmer's anthropology by saying this, and if you kid, kids, if you look in your, blank, look, look in your notes, I'm going to give you guys some good Thomas Cranmer here, okay? Here's what, it's, here's what he was saying. The mind justifies what the will, and the will chooses what the heart wants. So what it locates at the top of the human existence and hierarchy is the heart, which is why Proverbs is telling us, guard it. Because your mind is only justifying what's there, your will is only chasing after what's there, your heart is king. What you love is king, your appetites are king. Augustine said this as he reflected on this text, uh, you know, in the... uh, in the uh, fourth century, um, he said that the heart is the seat of our fundamental commitments, right? It's, he said it this way in his book, Confessions. He said, wherever I am carried, 
my love is carrying me. And so because our heart is where we hold our core, the core belief of, you know, if we have certain things, it means fulfillment and joy and meaning in life. Essentially, you know, we're being driven around. Our hearts are like autopilot. So when verse 23 here calls us to guard our hearts, really it's an invitation to shut off autopilot. If you've come out of a legalistic um, church context, and I was a legalist for years, and I preached a lot of legalism in the past, so I know where a sermon could go right now, and here's where it would go. You've got to guard your heart. So here is KW Redeemer's approved list of books, and here's the ones that your kids can't read you got to guard their hearts. And here's the approved list of... Now, is there wisdom in examining of things? Yes, there is, for sure. But what it is saying is, to guard your heart is not simply an external kind of exercise. It's actually getting, getting underneath... What Proverbs is provoking is get underneath and explore what your heart wants, what your heart... what the appetites are, what it loves, what's driving... So that you can guard, guard that through your very thoughtful confession and prayer and meditation, right? As opposed to simply saying, oh, my heart is guarded. I'm a very, uh, you know, I'm on God's uh, good list because I didn't read Harry Potter. Who cares? Some of you should read Harry Potter. I'm, I'm Ravenclaw, by the way. But anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. You've got to get underneath the, what's, what's driving in desire? What's driving the appetites? This is, this is what Proverbs is provoking us to see. Because what, what was, getting back to verse 18, you're either the righteous, we're either, you know, living and walking as the righteous whose path is like the shining sun, or we're like the darkness who don't know what's making us stumble. And by the way, it doesn't mean, oh, well, we're the church, we're Christians, and Christians don't stumble. Spoiler alert, read further in Proverbs, and you get, by the time you get to around chapter 24, it says, though the righteous stumble seven times, which is a metaphorical number, meaning all the time Christians stumble. It says, though the righteous stumble seven times, they'll rise every time. In other words, the grace of God for you is so good that no matter how many times you fall on your face, his grace is there. God has an office at the bottom. And because that's true, we desire to be brought into alignment and live according to the wisdom of God because that's what true fulfillment and joy in life actually looks like and flows from. And so here's the, uh, the third thing, uh, just by way of quick review. So the first thing we get from this text is that wisdom requires a passionate pursuit and God empowers your pursuit by his grace. Secondly, wisdom flows from a guarded heart and a guarded heart is what you want as the spirit renews you by grace. So examine your heart thoughtfully in confession and, and desire the renewal of God and the wise guidance of God's word in that way. And thirdly, wisdom is a living word. Wisdom is a living word that guides you. See, God's wisdom is not merely precepts. It's a person. Proverbs isn't just about following 31 chapters worth of principles. It's about falling in love with the person. It's not mere intellectual teachings from Jesus, but it is a life-changing union with Jesus. Wisdom is a living word that guides you. Let's just zoom out for a second. Let's just zoom out. Why do you believe anything? How did you, how do you come to the conclusion that 
life is about this or life will be... Like, how, how do you come to have a core belief about anything? The answer is words. Either the words of someone else, your words, you were handed a narrative, or you concocted a narrative, and you have internalized that narrative and said, life is about this, fulfillment looks like that, meaning means this, and so either somebody gave you that narrative or you concocted the narrative, and now you wake up every day trying to align your life to that narrative. That's the way we, any of us come to believe anything is by narrative. And so the gospel is a life-changing narrative. The word of God is a life-changing narrative. Being united to Jesus by grace and faith alone is a life-changing narrative. Knowing that this life is not all that there is, as Cassie said in her baptism testimony, but that there is more than this life, that the reality that, that this life is the, sh- the smallest part of your existence, that's a life-changing narrative. Being able to look at the joyful things about your life that you really enjoy and knowing that time itself is not going to bring those things to an end, but that time itself is now God's ally as he restores all those things to eternity to you, that's a life-changing narrative. Looking out at the world in your newsfeed at all of the sorrowful things, the things that make you angry, that make you hate the world, to say, why do we exist? The terrible atrocities and offenses, the, the endless catalog of evil by which we continue to hurt each other. Instead of looking at all that like, who's going to fix it? Who's going to fix the world? Who's going to fix this government? Our government, that government, the other government. Here we are over in North America. We're like the teenagers of the world, thinking we have it all fixed out. We're, fi- you know, we're so stressed about it. Who's going to fix it? You know, Knowing that there's a king that is returning, that is a life-changing narrative. So that we are now agents of, min- of reconciliation today. It's a life-changing narrative. How do you come to believe anything? You're believing a narrative. And so what... Proverbs is doing over and over and over. It's saying, you're already listening to words. You're already aligning your life according to words. That podcast you love is full of words. The book you read is full of words. Everything is full of words. So listen to my words. Listen to my words. Bind them around your neck. Do you see now? It's an invitation into God's words, God's narrative. Live your life according to his glorious, liberating narrative. Find rest for your heart and your mind in a new narrative. Find fulfillment in your soul through a new narrative. A narrative that tells you who you are in relation to God. A narrative that tells you what's right and what's just and what's true and loving according to the word of God. A narrative that is so powerful, it dissipates your anxiety and your worry like the sun dissipates the fog. Because the gospel narrative declares to you that as a child of God... He promises to provide for you, to heal you, to one day fully restore you because he's rescued you. The wisdom of God is not merely an ancient written word, it's a living word. Think about it. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Jesus is God's wisdom applied. Wisdom is taking principles and bringing them down to earth. Jesus is God. Come down to earth, living out God's wisdom in reality. You see, you will become wise, and your children will become wise, not by merely accepting the principles of God, but by loving the person of God, by marveling at the Son of God, by looking at Jesus. 
You think about little kids, how the one little kid trope they all put on their parents' shoes. At some point, they all do it. Baptized little Emma this morning. She's not old enough to put on her parents' shoes. But one day, at some point, in our sibling chat, there could be a picture of Emma wearing somebody's shoes. Because all kids do that at some point. It's hilarious. Oh, there's my parents' shoes. I've got to put those on. That's the heart of the child saved by grace reading Proverbs. How do I put on dad's shoes? How do I align myself to his words? How do I have the worry and the anxiety and the fear and concern I have for life just dissipate like the sun dissipates the fog by realigning myself to his words? How do I face this trial, this tragedy? How do I deal with this thing at work according to the wisdom of his words, knowing that as I make this wise and loving and just decision, regardless of what happens, on the other side of it, God is there providentially working it out for the good of my salvation and for his glory. A life-changing, liberating narrative. We're not just looking at ancient advice. It's looking at the scriptures and realizing, like Jesus said, they're all testifying of me. The scriptures are about Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus, and wisdom is only found when we are in awe of God's grace for us in Jesus. And I close with this. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said, you know, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to people. The thing that God said was wise or foolish. Why? Because fools get crucified. You get crucified because you're a fool. You did something foolish, you got caught because you're foolish, and now you're crucified because you're foolish. You're a fool. Here's the gospel. Jesus took the place of fools. In God's wisdom, he made a way to save the fools. Me, you, all of us. He took the place of fools, he took what we deserved, and in the end we were going to get what he deserved. And so when you look at Jesus, you are looking at wisdom personified. And so as we gather together as a community here, Sunday in and Sunday out to worship him, marvel at him, look at him, the more we will grow in our imitation of him, we will be changed by him, we will be made wise by him, because by grace and faith you are united to him. Let's pray.